Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. We are the boys in white and blue, and we're back with another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Muscovy Territory at the University of Beautiful, British Columbia. I'm your host, Michael McCall, and I say we are the boys in white and blue. This week, it's just myself. Yes, I'm on my own some. Zach is away. Steve is unfortunately sick and was a late call-off for the show tonight, so you've got me to listen to for a couple of hours. You can maybe turn off now if that doesn't interest you, but I do have a packed show in store for you this evening. We're going to be looking at the Whitecaps' latest loss down at LAFC. We're going to be kind of looking at what the Whitecaps need to work on now that they're heading into the international break and they've got two weeks to try and work on things and, and turn their season around a little bit. We're going to round up the weekend's action across Major League Soccer and our feature interview in this episode is another one of our Canadian Premier League series in the build-up to the new season where I'll be sitting down for a very entertaining chat with Cavalry FC head coach and general manager Tommy Fielding Jr. You don't want to miss that one. You don't want to miss any of it. So let's just get straight into the football chat. And we're going to start by looking at the Whitecaps lost down at the Bank of California Stadium in LA. 3-1 to LAFC. And as I wrote in my match report for this one, my big takeaway from this game is... It's not as bad as it could have been. Because when you look at who the Whitecaps had out, when you look at the lineup that was out on that pitch, when you look at the fact that this was first-placed LAFC, the conference leaders, undefeated in the season, taking on the bottom-placed Whitecaps, still looking for their first win, you did fear the worst, let's be honest here. And I think we've seen a couple of horror shows down in LA in recent seasons to have that worry to the fore. Yes, last year the Whitecaps did go down there and get two draws, but the way the Whitecaps have started this season, I wasn't overly hopeful. So we'll break down the match a little bit. We won't break it down uh, as much as as we usually do because it's just going to be myself. I want to more talk about stuff coming out of the game, really. But the Whitecaps had a strong start in this one and actually took the lead in the 12th minute Tristan Blackman, going back to his old stomping ground in LA, 
scoring his first goal as a white cap, and he looked stunned when the ball went in. I, I don't know if it was just the the shock of scoring, the unexpectedness of, of how the goal came about, the realisation that he'd scored against his former side and not wanting to celebrate. Cava, on the other hand, really enjoyed the moment and was giving it big licks to the LA faithful behind the goal. They did get the last laugh in the end, but a, a great goal and a great move, something obviously straight off the training ground. Pedro Vite spent ages placing the ball for a free kick and I'm sitting watching it going, something's up here, this is definitely planned, you don't take that long to place a ball. And that was exactly the case because it was Sebastian Bearhalter that whipped the ball in. Great delivery from him as well in his first start as a white cap. LAFC, on the other hand, clearly did not clue in that something was up here and it was terrible defending by them. But the ball came in Lucas Cavallini rose superbly to meet it. And he had a really strong game, especially in the first half tonight, I feel. But his header, this is the Lucas Cavallini you want to see. I spoke last week about he's a bit of a streaky player. Was that goal going to give him confidence? It certainly did on the showing that he showed at, at times tonight. But he met the ball brilliantly. His header crashed off the right post. The rebound fell straight to Blackman in front of goal. Poked it home from about six yards out. 1-0 Whitecaps. Was the shot going to be on? I was stunned that they, they took the lead. I, I genuinely had us pegged for probably going down to a 4-0 defeat. Oh, ye of little faith sitting here. Obviously, we now know the answer that the shock was not on. And that was pretty much as, as good as it got for the Whitecaps. But... It was great to get that goal. It shows what this this team can do. We've seen in previous seasons that they can be a threat at set pieces. I, I would like to have that coming back into our arsenal a little bit. But then came a one-minute spell. The, I, I started to think at the start of the one-minute spell, you know what? Maybe this is going to be our night. Because Sifuentes had a header... That was brilliantly saved by Thomas Asal. Sprawling save from the young Caps keeper, tipping it over for a corner. Already penciled in as leading the way for my save of the season by Hassal. From the subsequent corner, Ellie kept a little bit of pressure on, but Hassal punched the ball clear, sparking a quick counter-attack from the Whitecaps. A two-on-one break. Christian Dahomey took the ball forward. He had Lucas Cavallini to his left. Just one man between them. Dajo takes it into the box. Cava, wide open. Goal gaping. All Dajo had to do was square the ball. Cava would have tucked it away. 2-0 Whitecaps. Not game over, but completely changing the dynamics of the game at that point. But instead, and as I put in my report, whether it was selfishness, a lack of awareness, overconfidence in his own ability, a combination of all of that. Dajo went for the shot himself, Kripo came up with a leg save, the danger was cleared, and it was a massive missed opportunity for the Whitecaps, and a crucial one as well. It's unforgivable not to square the ball to to Kava at that point. He was wide open, there's an outside chance that somehow Crapeau could have managed to sprawl himself across the goal and keep it out. But that was surely going to be 2-0. 
And when Dahomey watches that bat, he's going to know he made the wrong decision. But it's a split-second decision. You've got to be more aware of what is going on around you. And it proved to be a game-changing decision, a killer decision against the Whitecaps. I'm not saying that they would have gone on to win the game because we just don't know. But I think they could have got something out of this one if that had gone in. And it would have been a whole different LAFC side that you'd have seen. It would have been a different way for the Whitecaps to approach the game as well. So a big, big opportunity. It's the fine lines moment of the game. If we want to go back to something we did a few years ago. And the Whitecaps were punished for not going 2-0 up in the 27th minute. LAFC got back level. Ryan Hollingshead, man of the match. Outstanding performance from Hollingshead in this one. He was one of the big signings for LAFC in the summer, really boosted their defence. Didn't start the season as a starter, and I I was surprised by that, but last couple of games he has started, he's got on the score sheet. It was his first career brace tonight, and just throughout the match, Hollingshead was absolutely fantastic. Put LAFC back on level terms in the 27th minute. Pinpoint corner from Carlos Vela. Hollingshead got the better of Sebastian Berhalter to head home very powerfully past Hassal. One of those headers, he didn't even have to leave the ground to get the better of Berhalter, who's not one of the biggest guys in the team, probably should not have been tasked with man Martin Hollingshead at that one. And it was a great finish from him. 1-1 at that point, and when that went in, I could only see LAFC going on to win the game from that point, as was proved to be the case. 11 minutes later, 7 minutes before half-time, 2-1 to LAFC. Vela this time putting the ball in the back of the net. At the second attempt, because he did kind of have his first attempt parried a little bit by Hassal, the, the rebound fell straight to him and he tucked it away. But all the good work in this one, well, obviously it was a good finish by Vela, but the good work in this one all came from Mahala. Absolutely fantastic footwork from him. Great trickery to get past, blow past, three Whitecaps players on the right wing. First of all, he turned Russell Tiber inside and out, then just waltzed his way past Javain Brown. Then Jake Norwinski hit the byline, put the ball into Vela, who finished it off. And that was how it was standing at halftime. 2-1 to LAFC. Almost 3-1. Three minutes after the restart. And it was Hollingshead again. Who else? He was given a free header from a corner. Now, you've just seen the danger of him in the first half. And the Whitecaps don't pick him up. Given a free header. This time, though, it was saved by Hassal on the line. Whitecaps breathed a sigh of relief. They were still in the game at this point. And although they... They didn't really offer much going forward. They didn't seem to offer much of an attacking threat. They were still in the game and they remained in the game until the 70th minute when LAFC put it to bed. Who else? Ryan's hauling head again. 3-1. This was his, his best goal of the night. The Whitecaps had two chances to clear the pressure from an LAFC corner. They got the first one out, it only got just past the box, it was headed back in. That itself got headed out, it came to Hollingshead at the edge of the box. A low rocket into the bottom right-hand corner. Sal couldn't do much about it, went through a crowd of players. Capping off 
a great individual performance by Hollingshead and a good team performance by LAFC. Mahala nearly made it four a couple of minutes later and I was kind of getting worried it might get a little bit out of hand by that point. But the, the Whitecaps steadied, they kept it to, to three in the end. Had a chance, two minutes in the stoppage time, to almost reduce the deficit to one. Daiba Caicedo, some good footwork from him on the edge of the box, allowing him to get a shot off. Daniil Henry with a block and the, the ball went out for a corner. And that was all she wrote in this one. Naturally, very happy, jubilant scenes on the black and gold bench. Mark DeSantis giving Steve Chirandola a huge hug and was all grins after the game. You can kind of understand that a little bit. And I think MDS won the evening with a, a brilliant Instagram story that he posted, which was just a picture of a hamburger that read, Tonight, cheeseburger at 2am. That, of course, in reference to Axel Schuster's famous comment that his decision to get rid of Mark after the loss to Pacific FC came as he was mulling things over whilst ordering, I think it was an Uber Eats that he got at 2am after that loss in the Canadian Championship. So not an unexpected result overall, 3-1 to, to LAFC. As I said in my report, we've seen a lot worse performances and results from the Whitecaps down there, so you can take that from it. Vanni Sartini, after the match, said that he felt strange sitting there on the back of two straight defeats, but feeling happy with what he's seen from his team. I think that's a little bit optimistic from Vanni. He did say there was no shame in going to one of the best teams in the league and losing there, and that is true. And he spoke about the, the building blocks that he saw from the, the team in this one. And we'll, we'll come to that in a sec. But it was another game where the Whitecaps just gave up so much possession. LAFC finished with 61.5% possession. They had 18 shots. Nine of those shots were on goal. Hassal coming up with six saves. Obviously, three of them ending up in the back of the net. The Whitecaps, seven shots throughout the game. Only two of them on target. It's tough enough going down to a place like LAFC, but when you're chasing the game as well and you can still only manage to get two shots and goal, there's just so much to work on. And at least the good thing from a Whitecaps perspective is that they now have two weeks to A, get some of these injured players back healthy, and B, work on some of the stuff that they really need to work on and really need to turn around if they want to try and get their season kick-started. In terms of the former, if you look at that team that was out tonight and you look at the players that weren't playing, right away from the injured players, there's four players there that, for me, are automatic starters. They're the, the names I'm going to be putting down on the team sheet every week if they're fit. Defensively, you're looking at Eric Godoy. Still out with a calf injury, isn't training at the moment, who knows when we're going to see him again. In the middle of the park, which is such a big, big issue right now, we have to get Kyle Alejandri back. He is at least doing light jogging uh, around the training pitch, but he still seems to be a couple of weeks away from being at the fitness levels that the, the Whitecaps need him to be at to, to get playing. We might 
even see him play in this MLS Next Pro game next weekend in Houston just to try and get him some competitive minutes. I, I, I don't know if they'll feel that that might be too far for him, but they've got to get him back in the middle of the park. Pedro Vite, I, I thought, was really good tonight, and I'm still looking forward to trying to see that Vite Alejandri combo in the middle of the park. And I think once the Whitecaps have that, they are going to look a different team. But you've got to get Alejandri back sooner rather than later. When we spoke to Vanny a few weeks ago, he did mention that we probably wouldn't be seeing him until after the the international break. So fingers crossed it is going to be sooner rather than later. The other two, the two key offensive pieces that basically sparked that great run to, towards the end of last season... Ryan Gold out with a sort of calf niggle as well. And he's been a little bit beat up. I think he may have hurt his back in one of the preseason games. And now he's had this one as well. Kind of took the knock in last week's game down in Houston. And he's clearly not been the, the Ryan Gold that we saw last season either in these early games. And Brian White as well, still struggling to get back. But Vanny said after this game that he is hopeful that White and Gold will be back for that next game against Sporting Kansas City at BC Place on April 2nd. So again, fingers crossed, touching wood, everything that you could possibly do, rub that little rabbit's foot if you've got it in your pocket, that these guys are back for the next game because the Whitecaps badly need them to be back. Now, in terms of what we could maybe see or take from the, the Whitecaps' performances in these first four matches. Vanny described it in his post-game as seeing some building blocks. So I I wanted him to expand on that. So I asked him about that and what he feels he does need to work on in this two-week break. Here's what he had to tell me. You've got a couple of weeks now off to, to work on things to try and get people back healthy. I mean, when you look at the the team that was out tonight, you're probably missing four guys that would maybe be your regular starters in in Godoy, Gold, White and Kyle. Do you have hopes that they will be good to go in a couple of weeks or do you feel that you might need to bring in some additions to try and get something going? So, uh, in terms of injury, Ryan and Brian should be okay to play against Kansas City. So, we we hope that... uh, they should start training uh, next week. So we're going to have like a couple of days off now because next week we don't play. And then uh, we're going to start. Eric and uh, Kayo, they are still behind and never did anything on the field at the moment. Uh, so we'll, we'll wait for them for sure. And uh, But again, uh, we need to be concentrated with the guys that we are uh, we have, we have available at the moment. And... Uh, uh, it doesn't have to be an excuse if someone is missing or uh, we, we, need, we need to try to, to, to even be better, whoever's going to be the, the available for a specific game. You, you spoke about building blocks in this game and, and last week's game. When you look back at these four games, and I, I know it's fresh, that this one, and you'll spend a bit of time looking at it, but what have you seen as the positives to build on and what do you think is going to be the key focus in this next two weeks to try and get that first one? Well, the positive in the first, uh, in the last three games, I think that been, uh, I'm, I'm pretty um, uh, okay with, with our build-up, with, with the fact that we can 
we progressed the ball from our defensive third to to the middle third and to even to the final third uh i'm okay uh the midfielders and the wingbacks uh they've been a little bit inconsistent defensively but uh today i like them and i like them against new york city too uh we need to improve and to work of course uh, on our pressure from the front that was uh, that is kind of our stamp on our way of playing and uh on our decision making in the final third so Vanni Sartini there just chatting about what he feels that the Whitecaps do need to, to work on in this two-week break that they've got now. He, he feels he's been happy with a lot of the build-up play from the back and the, the play of the wing-backs. And to be honest, the wing-backs in the last couple of games have looked far better than that first game horror show against Columbus. But they, they seem to have settled into the system well. Uh, and yeah, on a whole, they've kind of come out of these games with, with quite high pass marks and I still feel that once you see a full strength Whitecaps team it's going to be a much different animal and a much different beast and there's been glimpses as to what they can be even the the goal tonight against LAFC great set piece delivery some good movement in the box. You can see the threat that Blackman can be. When, when we spoke to Blackman on the show last weekend, he talked about how he used to be a striker and we talked about his goal record. So he can definitely be a key piece for the Whitecaps in the opposition box. And defensively, I, I thought he was excellent again tonight as well. When you look at what they need to improve upon though and what they need to work on, it's what they've needed to work on since pre-season. It's what Vanny has spoken about throughout pre-season, that he's not been happy with the, the pressure and the pressure from the front, the pressure from the midfield, decision-making in the final third, penetration in the final third. It's all lacking just now. And a lot of it does boil down to the midfield and we, we need to get some better players in there. We need to make additions in there. I like Bearhalter from what I saw tonight, and again, I want to say I'm not trying to sound like we're always trying to pile on Russell Tybert, but I just thought it was another poor outing from Tybert tonight, and he just is not the player that we're needing in there right now. They've got this eye on a defensive midfielder, they need to get him in ASAP if they can, it might have to wait to, to the summer window. All we can hope for is that this is a box-to-box -box destroyer kind of guy because that is what they are needing just now. And it does look like a long season ahead for, for the Whitecaps. This is the, the first time in Vanni Sartini's coaching reign that he's really hit a tough spell. And it's going to be interesting not just to see how the players respond to this and how the players respond to him, but how he handles the situation as well and how he tries to turn it around and get him out of it. This is what all coaches train for. It's like, how do you deal with things when they're not going well? It's easy to be a coach when things are going well and you're getting the wins and the fans are loving you and you're getting all the publicity. It's how you cope in these darker times. And it's still very early in the season and I still want to point that out and there's a long way to go and you've seen not just from the Whitecaps last year, but other teams as well. You just go on a run of games and everything. It's easy to to go up the standings in, in Major League Soccer, the way that it's set up, if you can get on a hot streak. 
right now, it feels like the Whitecaps are a long way away from a hot streak. But it's four games from a 34-game season. They've got a bit of time to recover, lick their wounds, get healthy, work on a few things. It's going to be a tough task in the game against Sporting Kansas City in two weeks' time. They are also a beat-up side, though, and a side that is going through their own issues just now, so we'll see how that one plays out. Let's see how they got on this week, along with the other teams in the West, and also TFC and Montreal. And we will be back with our MLS Weekly Roundup after this. Hi, I'm Tristan Blackman, and this is the AFTN Soccer Show. Creeping round my house at dawn I'll keep my curtains closed If you're feeling fond of feeling wrong Fully clothed For a second Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for the month of March from Glasgow, Scotland. That was the Delgados and a song taken from their second album Peloton. That was Pull the Wires from the Wall. Hopefully you've been enjoying what we've brought from you from the Delgados so far and checked out their back catalogue a little bit. couple more songs to come from them before the month is out. But we're going to get back to the football chat now and we're going to be moving away from the Whitecaps in this part and focusing around the rest of Major League Soccer. We're going to be doing our weekly roundup of the Western Conference teams primarily. But as we like to do, we're going to start off by looking at the other two Canadian teams and how they got on this week. And well, Saturday gave us the first win of the new season by a Canadian team and it came in Toronto as TFC fought back from going down to a, what has to be said, a horribly defended goal that Russell Canoose scored 10 minutes into proceedings. They fought back to beat DC United 2-1. Alejandro Pozuela tied things up in the 24th with a a tap-in really from close range and the winner came eight minutes in at the second half when Jonathan Osorio showed some good hustle in the middle of the DC half started and finished a nice move coming in at the back post to finish it off that was how it finished 2-1 to TFC they managed to hold on to their lead giving Bob Bradley his first win as TFC head coach 
And it looked like we were going to get a second Canadian win of the weekend in Atlanta later that afternoon. But somehow, CF Montreal managed to blow a two-goal lead and a man advantage in the last five minutes of the game, having to come away with just a point in the end and a three-all draw. One of the matches of the weekend, and it will certainly feel like two big points lost by Montreal rather than a good point one on the road in a hostile environment. The goals in this one range from the sublime to the ridiculous. Joseph Martinez put Atlanta up with a goal just six minutes in when Ishmael Corney played an errant pass to wide-open Martinez. He took a touch, fired home a great shot from about 25 yards out. After that, though, Montreal kind of took over the game, seemingly putting it to bed, but it wasn't to be. Coney made up for his early mistake as Montreal broke quickly from Atlanta corner, finding Jordi Mihailovic, who bore down on goal, confused Brad Guzan, who tried to anticipate him squaring the ball, but instead just moved out of the way, basically, allowing Mihailovic to knock it into a gaping net. Timed things up in the 28th minute. Connie then put Montreal ahead in the 37th minute, finishing a one-timer in the box, and it was soon 3-1, three minutes before half-time, when Rommel Kyoto scored from the spot after Connie was fouled in the box. Montreal at that point were in dreamland, and it got even better for them midway through the second half, when Dom Dwyer, given a straight red card for a reckless tackle on Joaquin Torres that... Caught the Montreal player really high up on his thigh. And Montreal should have comfortably seen out the match at this point. But to their immense credit, Atlanta fought back, reducing the deficit to one with a stunning Thiago Almada strike from the edge of the box in the 85th minute. His first for Atlanta. Included a nice fake as well to confuse two Montreal defenders, giving him more room and time to get his shot off, which he took full advantage of. Atlanta then earned a point two minutes into stoppage time and Brooks Lennon buried a 30-yard free kick, but Sebastian Brezer, he seemed too far over for. I really think he should have done better on this one. He did get a hand to it, couldn't keep it out. Atlanta made it 3 all, share of the spoils, and Montreal were just going to be left to wonder how they threw this one away and when that elusive first league win of the new season is going to come as well. Turning our attention to the Western Conference now, LA Galaxy kicked things off for the Western teams with a another early kickoff. They seem to be wanting to go for that this year. I don't know if it's to try and get more fans out, if they've been told that's the, the way to get more fans in, or if it's just when they can get the stadium, or just by choice of the, the TV companies or whatever. It's not working, they're not packing the fans in yet, not getting the wins either. Falling to Orlando City 1-0 in this one. And not a lot really to talk about. Chicharito was kept fairly quiet. The only goal of the game came when Facundo Torres headed home for Orlando nine minutes in. That was pretty much all she wrote. LA Galaxy still not impressing me. I still don't think that they necessarily are going to be a playoff team. It was Chicago Fire 3, Sporting Kansas City 1. SKC will be the Whitecaps' first opponents after the international break and they'll be heading to BC Place hoping that they can get some of their guys healthy. The break for them is coming at just the right time. They went into this one 
Missing all three of their DPs. Alan Pulido obviously is out for the season, but Gabby Kinder still out. The talismanic Johnny Russell out. And they were also missing the influential Daniel Saloy. There was very little of note in the first half hour or so of this one, but it suddenly sprung into life when Kaspar Prisbilko was played in, finished low, threw Timulia's legs from 16 yards out. And it didn't get much better for KC as the second half got underway. Courtney Ford clipping Mauricio Pinedo in the box three minutes after the restart. Up steps Jerdan Shakiri to fire home his first in a fire jersey from the spot. It was certainly a, a weekend for firsts all round. KC did pull one back in the 56th minute when Roger Espinosa finished a cut back from 10 yards out, giving the visitors some hope. Also saw Chicago concede their first goal of the season. But it was pretty much Casey's first dangerous attack of the game and from nowhere they were back in it. But Chicago put the, the game to bed, eight minutes remaining, forcing a turnover just past the halfway line, sparking some quick movements and a, a finish from Pizbilko for the pole's second of the afternoon. Casey huffed and puffed but offered very little in this one, managing just two shots on target throughout the 90 minutes. How big a threat they're going to be for the Whitecaps in two weeks' time? Tough to say. They definitely need to get healthy ASAP, as do Vancouver. Might not be a classic at BC Place, yet you kind of have to think. And talking of games that went classic, it was Minnesota 1, San Jose 0. The Quakes remain winless, and little wonder when they went through this one without managing a single shot on target over the 90 minutes. They did dominate possession 2-1, to one, but you would expect that when they're chasing a game. And their opponents must have been pretty confident that they weren't going to do anything with all that possession. As I said, wasn't a great game. Minnesota took the lead two minutes past the half-hour mark. Louis Amarilla ran on to deflected Robin Lord Cross for the Paraguayan to finish from six yards out. That proved to be the only goal of the game. Although this, the home side probably should have wrapped it up deep into stoppage time, if not before. Amaria was played through, cleared through in goal, but Marcinkowski did well, as the Colombian did poorly, really, to, to keep that out. San Jose badly needs some additions, or they're going to be cut adrift from the playoff picture pretty early on in this, I think. They've shown they can score, albeit most of them so far this year coming in the one game, but at least that's something for them to build on. Minnesota, they're still not firing on all cylinders themselves. They should have won this one by more, but three points are three points, and I'm pretty sure Adrian Heath will take that any way they come. It was Dallas 4, Portland Timbers 1, and we've been talking in recent weeks that Dallas are most certainly a better team than they were last year. I still think they're going to be pushing for a place in the playoffs. Still early days, of course, but they stunned Portland and Frisco with a fantastic first half performance that saw them three up by the break, all of them coming from Jesus Ferreira. Dallas went 1-0 up in the 26th minute when Ferreira hit his first of the season after a nice dummy by Paul Ariola, firing in off the bar. Four minutes later, and it was 2-0. Ferreira heading home his second of the game, 
after playing the ball outside to Nanu, then running in unchecked to finish the cross back in from Nanu into the box. Great move, great finish, poor Portland defending though. The third and Ferreira's hat-trick came in the 36th minute, low finish from the edge of the box, Dallas fully in control of this one. Portland finished the first half with just one shot, which at least was on goal, but that was to Dallas's eight, and six of those were, were on goal. The Timbers did do better after the break. Jaroslav Nigodza pulled one back for them just past the hour mark. When he did well to bring the ball down, it was an over-the-top pass from Sebastian Blanco. He took a touch, fired it into the far corner. Was it going to spark a Timbers comeback? No. It was short-lived. Paul Ariola restored Dallas's three-goal lead in the 77th minute. Ferreira getting an assist to add to his stellar night's work playing him in. That was the end of the scoring. Dallas repeated the result from last year's Frisco fixture. They fell off a lot last season after a strong start. It doesn't feel like this season's going to go that way. Portland with another slow start, but you know they've got the ability to turn things around pretty quickly once they find their groove and they've got some dangerous players and they can always go and add more in the summer if need be. Last week's opponents for the Whitecaps, Houston Dynamo, came away with a 1-0 draw with Colorado Rapids. It was a good game to be a Canadian player on the pitch, I think you have to say. The Whitecaps conquerors from last week earned a late point in this one, but it took them until the second half to really warm up. Sparked in part by Darwin Quintero, who had a, a really strong second half. But at that point, though, they were already one down. Mark Anthony Kay put the Rapids one up three minutes before half time. The ball came to him at the back post from a corner. He just had to stick his foot out to get onto a Danny Wilson flick on, standing wide open in front of goal at the back. Second straight game now that Kay's got on the score sheet. And it looked like that was going to be the winning goal for Colorado as well. Houston, they've looked woeful this season, which I think also says a lot for how poorly the Caps managed that game last week. But the Dynamo finished that first half not a single shot on target. They stepped it up in the second. They got four shots on target over the second 45 minutes. And they grabbed the point in the 90th minute. Tyler Pasher running on to a defence splitting pass. Knocking it past the onrushing Yarbao in the Colorado goal. It was maybe deserved for the, the play that Houston showed in the second half. But I, I think Colorado will feel a little bit hard done by. And Brian Acosta could have won it for the Rapids in stoppage time, drilling the ball wide of the left post, when in lots of time and space. He had time for a controlled finish, didn't take it. Big point for Houston. It'll give them a boost. They took four from their two-game homestand. That's something the Whitecaps will at least need to emulate when they get back to BC Place at the start of April, just to kind of keep in touch with these teams around them. And the last action on Saturday night, saw Real Salt Lake come away with a big 2-1 win at home in Nashville. Now, if you're talking surprise packages to kick off the season, then I think RSL have to be in the conversation. I thought they would probably fall down the standings a bit this season. I think many people tipped them to do that. They still 
might very well do that come November, but they've started the season off undefeated, making it three wins out of the first four games, sitting on ten points as we go into this international break. Salt Lake got on the board early in this one. Bobby Wood doing well to get in front of his marker to rise and head home a corner in the second minute. Nashville tied it up though in the 25th minute with a set piece of their own. Walker Zimmerman, he got the better of Wood in the air this time to head home a Hani Mukhtar in-swinging free kick. And Mukhtar looked really good for, for Nashville throughout this one. Daniel Lovitz though hit the post for Nashville in first half stoppage time after running on to a sublime Mukhtar flick-on that's really well worth checking out in the highlights. But RSL went back ahead nine minutes after the restart. Tate Schmidt ghosted into the back post to tuck away a cross that evaded everyone, slotting home through their legs a Joe Willis in the Nashville goal. That proved to be the winner. Nashville did push hard to get an equaliser but couldn't get the breakthrough and the day got worse six minutes in injury time. Dax McCarty shown a straight red card for a, a stupid show of frustration. Kicking out, stamping, however you want to look at it, at Bo Davis as he held onto the ball on the ground. Stupid sending off, the kind that drives a head coach nuts. I, I get the frustration because Nashville will feel that they should have taken for something from this one. They didn't know. Another three points to RSL and a great start to the season as well for them. So there were three matches played on Sunday, the Whitecaps being the third and final one of the weekend. Sunday's action kicked off with an all-Eastern affair between New York Red Bulls and Columbus Crew. 1-1 in that one. All the action came late. Wasn't a fantastic game, but the middle game of the three, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a fantastic one to watch. If you haven't seen it yet, at least check out the highlights or you can watch it all on zone. Down in Texas, it was another test for Austin FC. We kind of spoke last week about they got off to a great start, 2-5-0 home wins, but against pretty poor opposition. So what would it be like when they came up against one of the better teams in the league? And we saw last week they went down to a narrow loss to Portland Timbers. A good performance, but didn't manage to get any real shots on goal to, to test the Timbers. And I think it, a, a, a defeat was a, a fair result in that one, the way that Portland played. So this was another big test for them. They were back at home against Seattle Sounders. So playing a good team, how was it all going to play out? Well, this was an entertaining affair. Seattle took the lead somewhat against the, the run of play two minutes before half-time. Will Bruin put it away. I thought it was going to get called back for offside, but VAR checked it. Everything seemed good. So that was 1-0 to Seattle at the break. And then the second half, Austin came out. Excellent performance throughout that second half. They got back on level turns for 20 minutes to go with Diego Fagundes. They hit the post and woodwork a couple of times. They really threatened Seattle. They're going to probably feel a, a little bit kind of hard done by that they didn't even come away with all three points in this one. They had 14 shots, four of them in goals. And yeah, excellent performance by Austin, maintaining their unbeaten home record as well. And it was a, a good showing from a team that has definitely improved and... 
I enjoy watching their games. I've spoke before I enjoy watching the atmosphere down there, but they're a very, very entertaining team to watch this season. So what do all those results mean for the Western Conference standings as we head into this international break? Three teams remain undefeated in the West. LAFC leading the way on 10 points. They've got the tiebreaker over RSL, who are second. Minnesota, the third of those unbeaten teams, and third on eight. Then Austin, with that point today, back up to fourth. Dallas in fifth on seven points. Colorado on sixth on seven points. And then making up the seventh and final one of the playoff places. Although, obviously, far too early to start talking about playoffs and postseason. LA Galaxy still hanging on in there with six points. Outside of that, it's Houston in eighth. Portland in 9th, Seattle in 10th, Nashville in 11th, Sporting Kansas City, the Whitecaps' next opponents, in 12th on 3 points, and then bringing up the rear, San Jose, 13th, 1 point to their name, and bottom of the heap, Vancouver Whitecaps. 1 point from their first 4 games, a minus 7 goal difference, just 2 goals to show for their efforts. They definitely need to turn things around. They've got two weeks to work on it. Let's see how they come back against Sporting Kansas City, a BC place on April 2nd. We won't look too far ahead to that game because obviously there is no MLS action next week. A quick look at the East and there's three unbeaten teams in the, the East as well. Philadelphia leading the way there in 10 points, then Columbus and Chicago Fire both on eight. They are the three unbeaten teams. And at the bottom of the table there, Montreal 13th with one point, Miami 14th with one point. And their minus eight goal difference makes them just a tiny bit worse than the Whitecaps. Well, we talked about all the firsts around MLS this weekend. And let's just finish our roundup by talking about maybe the best and the biggest first of all from this weekend's action. Charlotte FC... They got their first ever club MLS goal last week. This week, their first ever win in club history. A 3-1 win over the defending Supporter Shield champions New England Revolution at the Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. And very well deserved win for Charlotte in this one. The game was live on one of the, the Boston channels that I get in my TELUS package, so I got to watch that one. Um, 29,000 fans cheered them on to a 3-1 victory, a brace from their Polish player, Karol Swiderski, and then another goal by Bender as well. Sealed the deal, 3-1 win, well done to the clit. Everyone's getting wins, it feels, just now, apart from the Whitecaps. And obviously San Jose, Montreal and Miami as well. But let's hope that things do change after the international break. And what an international break it could be. Canada on the verge of making history. I mean, they're pretty much already there. But just to seal the deal by claiming their first spot at World Cup final since 1986. Zach away to taking the game in Jamaica next weekend. It's going to be a fantastic occasion at BMO Field. 10 MLS players in Canada's squad that was announced today, including a couple of white caps, Christian Gutierrez and Lucas Cavallini. Derek Cornelius as well, if you want to include him as a white cap. Wish them all the very best. 
And there may be no MLS action next weekend, but MLS's new league does get underway. MLS Next Pro kicking off next weekend. The Whitecaps 2 away down to Texas to take on Houston Dynamo in their first match back in the league. Hope you've been following along with our articles, our get-to-know articles about the MLS Next Pro squad. We've got more of that coming up this week. We'd hope to have a little bit of audio in the show tonight around the league and the build-up to that as well. Couldn't make it happen. Hopefully we will bring you that in next week's show. But that is it for the MLS chat. That is it for the Whitecaps chat for this show. We've got one more part to come and we're going to be turning our attention to the Canadian Premier League and it's this episode's feature interview as we sit down for a very entertaining chat with Cavalry FC head coach and general manager Tommy Wilden Jr. And we'll be back with that after this. How's it going guys? I'm Ben Fisk. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, we've gone for a blast from the past. Back to 1990, in fact. Liverpool band The Laz, with the last track from their eponymous debut album. That was Looking Glass, one of my favourite tracks on the album. Folk will probably know them best for their, their song, There She Goes. And I say debut album, it was the only studio album that they they did release because of kind of fractiousness within the band. I can still put that album on today and listen to it, which I do quite regularly and feel that it's almost perfection for that kind of music. It's just from start to finish a, a great album. The band thought otherwise and didn't like the production of it. They were perfectionists, they were hard to work with. The band kind of split up. Cast was formed as a, a spin-off from the band. And then they, they did get together briefly for some reunion gigs. And I was lucky enough to, to take in a, a couple of those. But great band out of Liverpool. Lead singer, lead songwriter was a gentleman called Lee Mavers. Ardent Everton fan. As is Cavalry FC head coach Tommy Wilden Jr. Last episode, we had a, a good sit-down chat with Phil DeSantis, head coach of Valor FC, 
I mentioned that in the build-up to the new CPL season that gets underway the second weekend of April, that we're hoping to speak to a lot of the head coaches and executives from around the CPL. We had Rob Friend on our 500th episode. Got Alan Koch and James Merriman coming up in future episodes as well. This time round though, we are looking at all things Cavalry FC. So I got a chance to sit down with Tommy on Thursday afternoon, just to look at the season past, the three years that Cavalry have been in the CPL so far, look ahead to the new season, and a lot more as well. So go stick the kettle on, grab another biscuit of choice, sit back and relax, and enjoy our chat with Cavalry FC head coach and general manager, Tommy Fielden Jr. So, Tommy, delighted to have you back in the show. I, I realised it's actually been a while since we sat down just one-to-one. It's always been on calls and stuff that I've been chatting to you, so welcome back on. Listen, it's nice. I mean, uh, probably, what was it, maybe pre-season of the original year or our last one-on-one may have been back in the old PDL in the Foothills days. So, yeah, yeah it's... Uh, it's now we're, we're almost doing the Olympic calendars or the World Cup cycles every <laughs> four years. We'll do a show together again. Yeah, I don't know how, how it got to that, but we'll, we'll make up for it today. Yeah, okay. But we'll cover a lot of stuff. We'll look a bit back. We'll look forward. I mean, at the end of last season, with everything that had gone on, mm-hmm. as soon as the, that last game was over, were you just itching to get straight back at it or did you feel you needed a, a break by that point? Uh no, I, I, angry. It was probably, if I'm being totally honest, we were angry with the way the game was decided. Um, we were disappointed internally as, as the players because we can say, you know, was the ball in, was it out? But we left it to a contentious decision. Our biggest takeaway was we had five guys in the box with their hands up asking for the ball to be out. So we allowed, uh, you know, a 50-50 call to go in the favour of our opponents on our home pitch. So I think with uh, couple that with, you know, a part bubble, you know, being on the road a lot, being around a congested schedule. It was an exhausting year. So I think the best thing to do in those moments is to go away, reflect, review, and then refocus on there. So the break came at the right time and it allowed clarity in our thoughts, my thoughts personally. And that allowed us to have a what we feel is a really good off season in the retention of a big core group of players and a succession plan in our coaching staff with, you know, Martin exiting us yeah. and, uh, you know, bringing through Nick Ledgewood and, you know, promoting Leon Hapgood internally. So, yeah, it was a, it, a break was needed so we can be strategic, not emotional. Have you calmed down? Are you still angry? <laughs> no, I'll always be angry. I mean, I'm a competitor, you know, whether it's being beat at Scrabble at home with my family or, you know, you should have seen us in Monterey, Mexico. We had a staff game. Uh, you know, and we split it between the four guys that were born in England and the four guys born in Canada. And that was as competitive as ever. And, uh, you know, Nick Ledgerwood led the Canada team and uh, myself and Leon led the uh, team England. And I'm always going to compete in every single, you've seen it at the PDL day. So for me, they last that emotion, but I don't let it drive my future. I let it serve as hunger for what we still need to achieve. And uh, you know, as a group, we feel that we've been the most successful or we have been on regular season points. We're actually the most successful team, but we've got an empty trophy cabinet and we won't rest until we uh, we, we earn that opportunity to lift that North Shield trophy. I was going to ask you about that later, but let's just get to it now, because you look back at the three regular seasons. I know mm. 
the second one wasn't exactly a regular season, but you know what I mean. So like year one, you won it. Year two, mm. you topped it. Year three, joint first. It's just goal yeah. difference. Otherwise, you you'd have been up there. But yeah, you've nothing nothing to show for that. What do you feel this team needs to do now then to take that step to get that silverware? Um, keep going. I think it's like anything. I mean, the best teams, you look at what Jurgen Klopp's achieved with Liverpool is, I think he's lost more finals than he's ever won, but you don't stop. And I think anything, you know, whether it be business and the top CEOs in the world, I spent a lot of time, I don't know if you listen to that high performance podcast, and it talks a lot about failing forward and the best champions are the ones that keep going and, and, and forward, you know, Pep since, you know, winning with that excellent team at Barcelona, the Champions League has taken a brilliant Bayern Munich team and a brilliant Man City team and yet to lift a, a Champions League trophy with those two great sides. So, you know, if, if success was easy, would be given everyone participation medals. It's not, it's not meant to be, you know, there's eight strong teams credit to Forge. They lift, you know, I guess the, the first two trophies and Pacific, I mean, credit to Par and his group. They, they, they kept a group together. They were on the pitch earlier than others with the BC COVID laws and they used those marginal gains and came true at the end and, and managed to recover through the injury strategies they had. And, you know, winners win and there's a, you know, success leaves clues. And um, we've just got to keep going because, you know, we could have gone in the offseason and said, oh, let's just start again. Everybody seems to be saying rebuild and we'll not do that. And um, even in last year where we had 16 new players, we never called it a rebuild year, but actually essentially it was. So we thought our off-season strategy was let's use these shared experiences and let's bring this group together because now they're hurt by it. They're hurt by the way it went out. They felt that we beat we beat Pacific and we beat Forge and we beat York all within our last four league games of the season. So the teams that were in that final four, we knew we could beat them. And then it just takes, when you get to that playoff, it does take a little bit. And look, you've seen me go through it with the with the Foothills PDL side. It was only in the fourth year that we actually, you know, we went to the final in 2016. And then we finally got back there the year I'd uh, stepped away in 2018. And it took a little bit of those lessons and keeping guys hungry and almost having a bit of a chip on their shoulder. And I think with this group, we do. And, then you add in the fact that we brought in Charlie Trafford, who's, you know, he knows he knows Calgary. He's proud of it. I've worked with him before. You know, Fraser Ed is another Canadian international that was arguably the best assist maker last year and something that we were yeah. perhaps lacking. Um, and then you look at Maya Bevan, who's a New Zealand international. They, those guys had quality. And then we've got a few more coming in that we feel actually make us better. So we feel we're in a good place. Um, but like all things, we've got to earn that right. And right now, two clubs have earned the right to lift the shield and put the star upon their shirt. We haven't. So we've got to stay humble. We've got to stay hungry. I, I don't want to look too much back at last year because what's past mm. is past and you, you can't change it. But you, you had the second lowest goals against in the league. Mm. So obviously defensively it was good, but you're only fifth in goals for. Mm-hmm. And you had eight draws in there as well. So, I mean, just one of those games that just would have turned for you and, and you, you would have topped. You yeah. Playing York in the semis and it's a whole different thing. Yeah. So, I mean, you've added Meyer, as you talked about there. I I know him here from his time at WFC too and uh, with the Whitecaps as well. I, I liked him here. Hmm. And I think he's a guy that could get you goals in this league. But is that your focus to try and get those goals up to 
to to get more scoring because defensively you you look yeah, solid. And, yeah, and you're right. And we had the we were beating the lowest out of any team in the CPL. Right, we only lost six regular season games. So yeah. no matter whoever we played out, new combinations of players, we were still re- resilient. I'd say not not ruthless because ruthless would be finishing those eight ties off. So what we looked at was, you know, goal scoring is a lot on chemistry. It's a lot of, you know, when you're playing out the back, it's a lot of rehearsed plays against different pressing structures. When you're scoring goals, you've got to do it against a block. Um, You've got to think a lot quicker. There's less time and space. And it comes down to chemistry and almost being on this kind of supernatural thinking pattern between players. And we started to notice a chemistry emerging with Sergio Camargo and Joe Mason that we think, okay, good. You know, we had uh, Mo Farsi on the other side and we would have loved to have kept Mo. Um, and, and we offered him the chance to do so, but, you know, wanted to pursue other opportunities. So good luck to him. Um, but we look back and we think, right, fitness was a factor. With a game every three and a half days, it worked out with no preseason. Early in the season, we lost Ali Moussi, Sergio Camargo in the Winnipeg bubble. Richard Luco, we really had a high hopes on. And... These guys got injured in the bubble and took a while to recover. Uh, then you add to that, you know, we're putting Jose Escalante into a fullback position, whereas we like him a bit higher up. He can play fullback. And in fact, Honduras actually contacted us about him as a potential inclusion in this current CONCACAF windows. But we, we felt that we just needed, and Ben Fisk came in and Ben was kind of missed the bubble, but came in the second half. And I said publicly, he was the best sign of the year because he came in and, made an impact right away, a couple of goals, few assists, and his best ability is availability. And uh, so you need that. So what we felt was let's keep this group together. Salamani left to go to Malta. Again, needed more playing time. Totally respect that. We didn't take his option because we felt for the kid. Um, and I liked Maya Bevan. I remember seeing bits of him. We played against the Vancouver U23 team. And um, back when it was, I think, 2018 before with the, with the Foothills group, and I think we tied 1-1. Davy Norman played that day. David Edgar played that day. There was a few good... But I remember him catching my eye because he was mm. dynamic, pacey. And then I spoke to Richie Fagan. And then he said, oh, yeah, he came through the Nike Academy. And I went, well, I know the guy. I went to university with John Goodman, who ran the Nike Academy. Called him. Uh, and then uh, when he was at New Zealand, uh, Jose Figuera, you know, he's another player, person that I know that coached him. And all three said the same thing. He is hungry. He's got a great turn of pace. His movement is outrageous and give him a chance. He'll finish more than he misses. And I thought, perfect, because now you've got someone who can challenge maybe Joe Mason or come alongside him in a different structure. But we've also now got more bite in our attack. And, and that's what it comes down to. So um, we, we think he'll, he'll add some. And, and we got one or two more little final pieces. Um, it was the same with Fraser Ed. We, we thought... You know, he played winger or fullback and it's time with Vancouver that you'll reflect on. Mm. But last year in a team that finished second from bottom, he had five goals and five assists. And we're like, so when we're looking at replacing Mo Farsi, we think player of incredibly high potential had, you know, one goal and two assists. We're like, well, you know, the data speaks for itself. And then you get to know the lad and you think, actually, he's a gamer and he's a proven international. And we're like, right. Let's let's get him in, and he's coming to preseason and being yeah really really hungry. So yeah, we're we're happy with the additions we've had so far. Yeah, I think Aird's better now than he was when he was mm. here in, in MLS. I think he yeah. he came here too soon, and I think his his games improved. I mean, you, your squad it 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 looks excellent, and 
with Bevan, I think he's got better players around him now than he yep. had with WFC too, so I think he'll shine there. But, but we're three seasons into the league now. Just generally, how do you feel the direction of the, the league is going? Is it where you thought it would be? I know COVID put things mm. back a bit, but are, are you happy with how the league's gone? Listen, delighted. And I think the best thing, Michael, through all of this, and, and we've all talked about how do you grow the Canadian game with what the women have done with the gold medal, um, with what the men are currently doing on the fringes of getting to a World Cup that they're not hosting is spectacular. And, and John Herdman's been a great advocate in both programmes and, and for Canada Soccer in general to have a league that survived two pandemic years, you know, with low fandom, you know, of, of being able to thrive off of the money invested and, you know, the minimal um, and, the, and the sponsorship. No, no bums in seats, really. Our fans have kind of, a lot of them, we've sensed it even with ours, that they bought season ticket holders and a lot of them were saying, please carry over. People are invested in the game more than ever. And, you know, the, it's nice just to drive down the street and see, you catch the cavalry sticker on the back of a car and the first couple of times, like, oh, look, it's a... And now it's kind of, you're becoming regular. And, you know, it was great. I was with my son the other day and getting stopped in Sobeys to sign autographs. And you're like, this is kind of cool to see that this is the way the game is going, that we're here to stay. And I always look at, you know, when I came over in, you know, early 2000s, I look at where the MLS was. I had an opportunity leaving the storm to go down to Colorado Rapids for a preseason. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, a good chance. But, you know, I, I thought my future was always more coaching than it was playing, if I'm honest. Um, and it was kind of only just a little bit ahead of where it is. And look at the MLS now. It's crazy how good it is. Is maybe one of the number top 10 leagues in the world for, for, for not only salary cap, but attendances. I look at what they've done, and I know our owners are on there, and think what they've done in, you know, 25, 30-odd years is perhaps Canada could do in half that time using – some of the things they've tried and trusted and, and, and really grow it. So my passion is let's keep going with this because if we've survived a pandemic, we're in a very good place. I just hope that this year we have that level of normalcy, even though we know COVID's still out there, can we still get you know, a full 28 game season with no pauses or delays? And we've yet to be affected by it. There's been no cancellation of games. It speaks to mm-hmm. all the protocols that the league has put in and the clubs have followed. So in a long-winded point, I'm delighted with where we're at, given the circumstances, and I just hope that we can now put our foot on the gas and really be where we could be. And that's, you know, one of the best countries in CONCACAF to start with. You mentioned Mo Farsi going earlier, mm. and he's obviously gone down to Columbus Crew 2 in this new MLS Next Pro League. Now, my understanding of that league is there's not a salary cap so there's budgets to, to pay mm-hmm. players whatever they want. Do you think, not necessarily this year, maybe not even next year, but do you think that could hit the CPL, that guys are going to think, look, I can get better money. I'm in the pipeline. I'm in the system to impress and get into MLS. Do you see maybe the danger that more players might go down that route? Uh, no. I and mean, here's why, Michael. I'm a firm believer in best on best in terms of, if somebody else is doing something better in you, and I referenced that with the MLS there, then that teaches us all to raise our standards. So if MLS have brought in the next program that's bringing out the Mofazis or incentivizing them because they could potentially, potentially be in the optimal word, earn an MLS contract, which 
their base salary is is you know phenomenal compared to where our salary cap is. Um, but then you also compare other ones. So you look at what Forge has done in CONCACAF and they've done incredibly well. Pacific is there next year. We want to be one of those teams that competed in it. By by at the end of 2023, our league will be able to compete in three CONCACAF berths. The Canadian Championship leads to it, which only the MLS Canadian clubs, that's the only thing they have. The North Shield Trophy leads to it. And by all accounts, could be the highest point total in the league. So now we have three berths to get into CONCACAF. So if you're now a young Canadian player, do you gamble on a year or two in you know one of these MLS next development teams? And I've been through that system. I think, you know, again, with the USLPDL, you know, there's a merit to having a development team. We're looking at ways we can get our young players. But if they're only playing in front of, you know, 100 people or maybe 500 or maybe 1,000, let's say. I don't know what the crowd attendance will be. Or they're playing in tier one football in, in, Canadian, uh, in the Canadian Premier League. I think we've got more to offer than just the potential of an MLS contract. And I think we have to be very promoting in, in saying that. And I know in my general manager role, that's basically my sales pitch to young Canadians is this is better for you to be fighting for points, for championships, for CONCACAF plays, to play in the Canadian championship against the MLS sides um, in front of full, full stadiums with, in a tier one league. Well, yeah, I, I think the attendance in this league, and we'll probably see that here in Vancouver, is not going to be great because the general public doesn't have an appetite, I think, for that level of, of football. I love it, but yeah. that doesn't make these clubs thrive or give the atmosphere to the players. It's now, a tough you, one. It's a farm system one, isn't it? You yeah. know, and I know Whitecaps are going back and forth between having their own and, 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 and having others and loan them out. You know, we, we've had the same with the MLS, uh, the Montreal guys, is they don't have that, so they're looking for loan outs. And I, I like that model. I like the development model. You know, I lived it there with Foothills, as you know, and I think there's a place for actually a farm system of affiliate clubs is send mm. them to there and they can be proud to be their elite club versus, you know, Cavalry 2. It's it's a different ring than saying you go to down to play for, you know, Forge with Sigma, you know, Pacific with, let's say, VW Wave. So yeah, it's it's a model that has to suit player development first of all, absolutely. But is it the big enough leap for some of the young Canadian players? That only time will tell. I know it, it's a it is a a tough one. I'm just curious to see how how it plays mm. out. I, just I was going to ask you this towards the end, but it feels a good time to ask you it just now. So here in BC, we've got League One BC. Mm. We've got that pathway now. Obviously, Quebec's got it. Ontario's got it. But there's this big gap in the middle of the country that doesn't have that level mm-hmm. could you ever see like a league one alberta or even a league one prairies or Definitely. does it need to have that or would you like to see a western canada development because being coming through the foothill system mm. foothills need a league like that to play for even massively. like say, edmonton scottish or something like that massively the biggest bridge Again, using my own experiences as, as, as a data point was I, I started to witness that, you know, after the Calgary Storm pro team had folded, you know, the market wasn't ready for it. You know, it didn't understand it. There wasn't the media as now where you're doing podcasts and YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. And it just now the accessibility is, is brilliant. Mm. So everybody can see what you're doing. If it's a good brand, it will promote itself. So I, I, always, I started witnessing, you know, 
if they were 15 and didn't have an EU passport and couldn't get overseas to Italy or Spain or Germany and and like Nick Ledger would have to do, you know, kind of kickstart his career, um, then you would go into university. And that was great because you, you know, get a good career and become an engineer and far better paid than a professional soccer player. But, um, you know, there was they become the U sports. But what I really like about this now is the partnership with U sports is promoting them into CPL. Yeah. Um, the, you've got that. You've now, you know, League One Ontario, you know, when you look at the men's national team now and the amount of graduates out from there is, is remarkable. Um, and, and then you're looking at PLSQ and we're seeing some talent come through that, you know, they've got that, you know, Good and, and when Blainville, that's how we scouted Mo Farsi. We saw Blainville against York, and we, you know, you talk to him, you have a good data point, you see that he can compete in that level, and that brilliant. You know, BC, of you know, we enjoyed going across there to play. You know, Victoria Highlanders to TSS Rovers. Now I, I keep hearing, you know, whether it's uh, you know the, the Vancouver Tigers, you know, putting this side together. I'm like, that's great because now, like I say, when other teams emerge, it raises the standards for everyone else. So. I, Alberta's not far off. You know, I know since Calgary Foothills had to withdraw from the PDL and the American League because of border closures, mm. is I know they're one of many clubs looking into it. And the Alberta Major Soccer League is a good league. You know, you've got, you know, Edmonton Scottish have, have won the club nationals. The Calgary Callies are recent national club champions. And even in Winnipeg, I remember, you know, um, Sons of Italy and, and, and groups like that winning it. So I know that there's an appetite for it. And you look at what Sask is trying to do. So the biggest thing, Michael, will always be politics and power. Yeah. So who's going to be the leader now going through it to get it off the ground? Who's going to get in the way with it? And to use John Urban, I was at the AGM in May 2017, where, or 2018, sorry, in Yellowknife, where he showed the presentation for what he'd like to happen. And he's, kind of, he's living by it. And his biggest one was, listen, if you want in, great, grab an olive branch. If you don't, all I ask is just get out of our way. And I think if people understand enough that they're either helping the game or hurting it, just help and try and be a part of it. Or if you're hurting it, just get out of the way. No problem. Have an opinion. Chirp at us from Twitter. But don't hold us back because this country can't be held back because it's on a wonderful road. So Alberta will have it. And I was in a meeting yesterday that it's on the radar. You know, Hopefully that's whether that means... By the end of this year, there's a presentation that commits to it, whether it's 2023 or 2024, it will happen. And I think it needs to happen because I'd love to see at some point, um, you know, some type of cup competition. A bit like, you know, is it the WHL that does like the Memorial Cup where, yeah. you know, similar to that and, and there's standards and that semi-pro environment is is much needed and it is the natural bridge for the professionals to the youth. Yeah, I think it would be fantastic. The, the politics and the local game here and the amateur clubs and stuff, it's like, it's crazy. It holds people back, Michael. It's like a Game of Thrones, but there's no yeah. outcome. <laughs> yeah. There's no Every, dragons. Everyone's out for their own interests and yeah. yeah. But let, let's get back to CPL. So season gets underway. The time that this comes out will be three weeks to the season gets underway. You've just been down in Mexico. I thought you'd have yeah. a better tan than, than you've did. got. I did, but as you can see out here, it's now I'm I'm back indoors again. Oh jeez! So, yeah, it's, it's kind of you can still see it tinted. I was pasty white. I was almost as white as the white tactic board behind me. But um, brilliant! You know what? This was a 2020 booking. So at the end of 2019, mm. we'd we'd had it, and funny enough, you know, in the soccer community, you work together and give solid references. And 
there's great collaborations that happen. And a conversation with Nick Dasovich when we played their 23s, they'd done it. And then I was on holiday at the end of that year with my family and I bumped into Reagan Hall and he was part of that trip. And I asked, I said, we're just looking for somewhere where we can get meaningful games. We can kind of get tested in that kind of conquer cafe way. Um, and they'd say, well, you just come back from here. So we booked it. Then COVID hit. We clicked pause. The IA sports group said, well, listen, let's, uh, you know, listen, we'll, we'll refund half your money. No problem. We'll, you know, let's keep it on hold for coming forward. Um, we had a flight credit. So we end up, uh, you know, we we're almost going, we were trying to work out whether it was a league one this year or not. And as much as I love the league and I love competing in it, I was getting tired of being in Dominican Republic with everyone, P Prince Edward Island with everyone. And, uh, you know, what was it last year? Winnipeg with everyone. I said, you know, sometimes it's good to train in the shadows. Yeah. And that's what it felt. We were in the you know depths of the mountains in Monterey. We had three meaningful games against mid-season Mexican teams um, from Coracamana, so Div 2, uh, to Cadereta, Division 3, to um, Tigres' B team. Um, and they were brilliant. And sure enough, we had some tough pitches to play on and some interesting refereeing calls. And yeah, it was, a, it was an extremely valuable uh, experience for us. You said there's some more players going to be coming in. Just now, it looks like it's 20 signed players. Six went out, four came in at the moment. From what you've seen in pre-season from this trip to Mexico and since you've come back, what can fans expect, do you think, from Cavalry 4.0 this season? Yeah. Um, we've just signed Karifa Yao back. Um, so oh. it's a, it's announced tomorrow. Um, but yeah, it was he was on the cusp of obviously getting in there. And I think with the signing back of, you know, a couple of experienced players, they, they see a big future in Karifa and he's still in 21. He was our oh. fans, foot soldiers player of the year. Um, so we've been working with Montreal um, and another winger, really young winger, an incredible athletic upside, brilliant personality, Jean Anielassi. So we knew we knew we needed a bit a bit more power and athleticism, um, one our attack, one our defence, and we actually added um, we announced it yesterday a third goalkeeper. And the reason being we're we're trying to think a bit bigger now that we noticed even last year that you know if Marco had played and Tyson was there that you'd, you'd pepper Tyson in it. We actually needed an up-and-comer. And locally, young players, we haven't quite got that depth. And we had this opportunity using, you know, the the league's international programming where you, you have to have four under-23 international players. We we brought in Julian Roloff, who came from, you know, where um, uh, FC Cologne. And he was part of their second team. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, really, really good where... Um, Kevin McKenna is right. So he's an assistant coach there and had good relationships, six foot four. And we thought our strategy now, we're really thinking about our off season. Can we have a player of experience, Tyson Prago, he's 31, you know, he's done the NASL to PDL to CPL, uh, to a player in their prime in Marco Carducci, you know, who's in his mid twenties to an up and comer of high potential in Julian Roloff. And, we thought that's the best way to do it because you do need three keepers in this league for many reasons, uh, whether it's after work with the strikers, whether it's additional build-out play with your defenders. And then we started balancing that across all positions. And um, uh, we, we thought we think this new new look cavalry team will have the same habits that no matter who plays against us, it will be their hardest game of the season. So if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to be your very best and hope for a bit of luck along the way. But we think we're going to have a few more 
maverick things up our sleeve that people maybe not uh, haven't seen. And that comes from mm. what we've been looking at in the off season, where we could improve. Um, and actually having the time to work on it, Mike, where, where we can, you know, have these preseason and have eight to nine weeks where we can say, actually, we could do this a bit better because what we realized last year with a game, every three and a half days, you're essentially, once you played your game, you were recovering the next day and reviewing what you'd just done. The next day you were, you couldn't, you're 48 hours after. So you couldn't really ramp up the intensity or things you had to be monitor. And then the third day was you had to taper it down again because you had a game the next day. So we were always forever in this kind of cosm of just minor improvements. Now we're actually having full weeks training and pushing them into red zones, pushing them tactically, having more individual collective unit meetings. So there's chemistry now that we've maintained and there's more hours on the training pitch that we're uh, we're going to have. So I think we'll be sharper than we've been. And uh, I think it could be one of our best teams we've got. But, you know, talk is cheap. We've got to put it onto the pitch. Yeah, but you've always been a good team to to watch. I think the schedule is huge now mm-hmm. that it's back to some kind of normality, hopefully, as as you said, as long as nothing derails it. Because that was insane yeah. last year. Even from watching it, it's yeah. like, oh, there's another game. It's like you, you get a little bit yeah. The boys much. were fatigued. Honestly, yeah. I learned a lot this year or last year from, you know, the mental health of people, the mm. the, the capabilities. People were surviving last year in all clubs. I, I look at the counterparts I went through and, you know, we lost some really good guys in the league with Rob Gale and, and Jimmy Brennan. And you could see it, you could sense it, and you just, you felt for them. It was, it, it was tough for everybody, players, staff, fans, everybody included. Um, but I think this year everybody's kind of a little bit more reinvigorated. There's 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 been this lift that you can feel it in the players in the training sessions. There's an edge. There's a bite. There's a hunger. There's a willingness to want to learn more. And uh, yeah, look, we'll you know me. We'll we'll always put out a team that will be a challenger. Uh, but it's our job this year is is to lose that tag and become a champion. But. It's not easy. There's seven other teams that should be saying exactly the same thing. So yeah. no game be easy. The first 14 games of the season, we're only at home five times. So the first half of the season is going to be a really good mental challenge to be road warriors. And then if we get some good points on the board, we can use the home pitch to our advantage for the back half leading into a potential playoff berth. So you're going into year four as the head coach here. You're still talking to you. You're still as enthusiastic as ever. How long do you see yourself in in cavalry in Calgary? It's like you've just a, as long as you've still got the hunger, you want to be here. Massively, and as long as my owners still want me in the building, right? Well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've 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 had a, a, a you know this is this has been you know ten years in the making from everything that. I helped start at Foothills and passed on to Leon and my brother and Danny Hay that are there to, you know, we always wanted to bring professional football back to Calgary in the right possible way. The immersion of the Canadian Premier League has been phenomenal that there's a group of eight partners and it's still growing, whether it's, you know, Rob Friend's new group at, at Vancouver to whomever else is the is the 10th club. I mean, what an exciting time to be involved in this. So I get asked that a lot, you know, there's been interest outside as, as we know and, None of it really turns my head in the way that being part of something that's here to stay. My future, Calgary, Canada has adopted me. My job is to help give it back something. And I will have the same energy and enthusiasm. I see my dad, he's in his 60s now and he's still coaching. 
Um, I come by it honestly, but I'm passionate about actually paving this pathway so that my son, his kids, their kids, this is now all they'll ever know. Like I looked at my son's 12 and I was saying this with Leon, whose son's 10 said, you know, if Canada make it to Qatar, which takes me back to, I'd use Italian 90 for me with England where, you know, I was what about, um, I'd have been about 11. Yeah. 1990. So they're showing my age. That's where I fell in love with the game. So I think with my kid and his kid and that generation, they'll only ever know Canada to be good. If they get to Qatar, then they host there. And, may, and then they'll always be at a World Cup. You know, you'll always have the Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David and whomever else is next. You've got the professional league that I tried to get my son to watch Everton. And he, he's, <laughs> it's, it's a tougher sales pitch now, but he doesn't miss a cavalry game. If we're on the road, he's in the. He, he'll sit and watch the full ninety minutes and have an opinion. If he watches, you know, like I said, even even in the Champions League, he'll kind of watch the highlights of it. These kids, that's that's what drives me. So it, it would take something spectacular for for it to change my thinking. But I'm around here for the long haul um, because I want to help build this. I'm passionate about it. I'm a supporter of the game myself, and and I'm a proud adopted Calgarian. So. Well, you talk about you showing your age. I was 21 for the 1990 World Cup. So. But when I was a kid, yeah. Scotland yeah. qualified for everything. So I that was, I was like, oh, that's the, that's what's always going to happen. <laughs> and then things change. So I think Canadians fans should make the most of this. But I mean, you talk about being a, a Calgarian now. I was, when I was doing a, a piece on my site for the new Whitecaps 2 team and the players, I think it was Owen Antoniuk. I was yeah, doing yeah. research on him and I stumbled across a picture of him with your dad. Brilliant. I, I did yeah, Blizzard. No. Yeah, there's another one. Um, oh, who's the other Calgarian kid there? There's, there's, there's two, they're Finn. So Finn uh, both played for my dad at Blizzards. And yeah, my dad was the reason I came over here with Mike mm. Vandale back in the Calgary Storm. And, and he's since back and still coaching. He's coaching for, for Chelsea's female program at a school in the, in the South. So yeah, he's he's got it, but no, he's 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 impacted a lot of people's lives, and I said that's all we're here for, right? Is is to make a difference in the game and gets us out of bed in the morning. We think, right, how can we make this better, different? But we're uh, we're excited for the season to come. We can't wait to. I'm looking right across at the field now. I can't wait for it to be noisy, to be you know energetic, to celebrate goals there. There's nothing like it, Michael. And uh, yeah, like I said even my uh, my beloved club Everton I'm not sure they would even tempt me back to... <laughs> when you look around MLS three Canadian clubs all had coaching vacancies and I thought I, I, I thought the likes of yourself Pa, Bobby would be kind of in the mix for at least one of those yeah I don't know if you can say, but were you? Was Did anyone ever approach you? Not, 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 not this route uh, there was a, an approach to our club previously about another one um uh, and listen it didn't come too much i was like i said committed to the cause here and i think it was more of a you know interview process that we would like to talk to you about it and i'm like listen i'm very happy where i am mm-hmm. um and, and i remain that way right now it, it would take something significant so look, very flattered by it really really enjoy watching the mls really enjoy competing against them in the canadian championship given the opportunity um well, like I said there's just something so exciting that the Campiel has that the MLS doesn't. It's we're like the forefathers, right? We're the forefathers of of this league, and there's something special about that. 
And you, you lost Nashi, as you mentioned. He's mm. off to York now. How do you think he'll do uh, as a head coach? And is he going to know all your secrets when you when you play? Yes and no. Um, <laughs> yes, he'll do very well. Nashi, you know, I consider him a close friend now. You know, we worked together for, what was it, four years. Um, became friends in that process. Um, one of the best guys in terms of honesty, integrity, um, knowledge of the game. It was a great sounding board for me uh, and helped me through my early years as a professional manager. It's different than being pro-am. It's different than being academy and be a technical director. There's lots at it. but And in turn, you know, I hope that I give him things that he can use in there. And I, I hear some of his interviews now and it's like we're talking like the same thing in some of the language he's using, which is great. Um, he'll have his own way of looking at things. I think it's great that he took Mara Stachio with him um, you know, as somebody, as an ex-player. And, you know, I think sometimes you know, leadership leaves trails and it becomes, you know, like a coaching tree. So if I can see him doing well, and whether it's Nick Ledgewood in the future or Leon Hapgood in the future, you know, or my brother in the future, there's lots of opportunities that I want everybody to, to succeed. He'll do smash in there. I wished him all the best. I said, just not against us. So what it's done is, is you know, that when you play against him, he'll know our playbook so yeah we've got to change the game and that's encouraged us to look at things a different way so uh, uh, I think it will do smashing now the Canadian Championship draw we chatted a little bit before we started recording this I know you don't like to look too far ahead and you take it one game at a time from a Whitecats point of view we're like oh we avoid all the MLS teams potentially to the final from a, a cavalry point of view, you've got a home road all the way along. If you can get through this, including hosting the final, you've knocked the white caps off before. Yeah, you've got to get past Edmonton, but that's a tasty draw for you. It, it's it's good. I mean, I like we had Edmonton last year. You know, I, I'm not sure what kind of squad Alan's built this year. But yeah, I'm not sure he knows yet either. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> yeah, so it's hard to play against a team you've never watched. So. <laughs> I don't think too much beyond it because I remember thinking that with Pacific and Whitecaps and then Pacific had an incredible game. I thought, wow, mm. they've really, really changed. And um, it must have been really nice for the likes of, you know, uh, Taron Campbell and, and Caden Chung that kind of came through that system where Davey Norma and Maya Bevan, they're in that Whitecaps too. So to turn them over would have been special for them. So I look at it in the same way where one, we've got to get past Edmonton and they could be that bogey team. You've seen it all, all over in the cup competitions that it's so hard to write anybody off because it's a one-off game. And then you look at Valor and you think, well, I'm sure Phil DeSantos will have highlighted that one and be working towards it as something he's going to be motivated. And they have something that, you know, they're, they're one of those dangerous sides. They've got unbelievable pace going forward. So if he has them organized and it takes a, whether it's a transition or a set play, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I, I don't get past the, the first round yet, but the potential, the Canadian Championship is brilliant for the fact that you could eventually face an MLS side, which I think actually in 2019 helped us as a league say actually we're competitive because I looked at York's game home and away against Montreal before we played them. You know, obviously our games home and away against both Vancouver and mm. Montreal showed that they were one goal games. And when you can do that, given the salary parity was impressive. And, uh, I think we've got to continue to do that because we're getting closer and closer to them and we're still, you know, they had a, what, 25-year head start on us. Well, I'm confident I'm coming through at the end of May to another trip to Spruce Meadows. I enjoyed my trip there a couple of years ago. Not confident enough to book it yet because I'm not sure we're going to get past Valor, but 
Yeah, but the rumor I'm, is I'm, we'll have pies for you because that's uh, that's oh. something we talked in the off season. Is well, I'll, I'll come no matter what then. <laughs> Get people pies in a beer before the game or half time, and you're you're on a winner. Oh, superb! Well, last thing because I've kept you long enough. Let you get back to watching Everton. Yeah. What What are the next can we, few? Can, weeks? can we keep talking? Okay. <laughs> I'm not being an Everton fan anymore. <laughs> what do the, the next three weeks look like for you then? Good question. We're um, heading up Saturday. We've got um, a game against the University of Alberta. They're hosting us at, at their foot field. Um, following week, we're away at Montreal. Um, we've got a group against them. It's during international week, so. Obviously, their first team's off, they're 23 groups, so it could be a hybrid, could be a younger group, could be older group. We're not sure yet, but we know that we'll have a game against them. Um, and then beyond that, we've got one more real, maybe two before we travel to Ottawa. We've got three games on the road. So we're just now, we're honing in on moments that matter is how we put it. So what do we look like when we're in possession? What do we look like when they have possession? And how does that look in their half, our half? And, and, and how do we look and with our set plays? And and then we'll start honing in on, on some individual and collective team goals. So it's really a really enjoyable time to be part of it because now it's everybody was getting minutes early, right? Everyone's getting that 45 minutes. But now team the, the team's starting to say, well, he's getting 60, I'm getting 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it starts to get competitive. Now you're not playing alongside your teammate. You're playing to compete against him for that April 9th. And... I really enjoy this bit because this is where you get to see something you, data doesn't show and it's edge and uh, all the best teams have it. And I've really enjoyed seeing it uh, this week with the team. Superb. Thank you as always. Good luck for this season. Always enjoy chatting to you and hopefully I'll see you in person again some point soon. Listen, I look forward to it. You've always been one of the OGs. You've always been kind to me in terms of uh, things and hope that we can continue to have these conversations and every every cyclical year we look back and go wow look at how the game's growing again so these are great conversations to have so thank you for having me on that's great cheers tommy but it's very cold out here in the snow marching to and from the enemy oh i say it's tough i have had enough can you stop the cavalry Tommy Wheldon Jr. there, great to catch up with him. As we kind of said at the start, I was surprised when I looked back that we hadn't really had a, a sit-down one-to-one for years now because I've chatted with Tommy a lot on the, the calls that they have before matches and we, we've spoken a lot, we've brought you a lot of audio from Tommy in the show but just sitting down for a, an in-depth one-to-one like that we, we haven't done for a number of years. Really enjoyed catching up with him again there. And and some great stuff from him. And you've got to, to think Cavalry are going to be there or thereabout again this season. Can this be the year that they actually get some silverware in that trophy cabinet? Can they go on a, a deep run in the Canadian Championship? Obviously, to do that, they would have to knock the Whitecaps off on the way. And you look at how they played last season and they just avoided finishing top on goal difference, just behind Forge FC. Finished with 50 points from the games, the lowest number of defeats. Eight draws, though, is what was the, their killer there, as was their, their goals for, as we, we touched upon there. Second lowest in goals against, with just 30 goals given up. Forge the, the best on 24. But it was the goals for, they only scored 34. That was the fifth highest in the league. Five behind Forge, 
which contributed to the difference between those two teams being 11 in the end in terms of goal difference. And last year, Joe Mason, outstanding for Cavalry up front. Eight goals, led the team, and that was from just 16 appearances due to injuries that had kind of kept him out for much of the season. And that was then when you had the drop-off. You've got Sergio Camargo with four, Anthony Novak with four as well, and then just behind them, Ahinga Selamani with three. And they really, for me, are pretty solid always defensively. One guy we didn't talk about in our chat there, Dutch centre-back Dan Klomp. For me, he was one of the best defenders throughout the CPL last season, and I definitely think he could go on and play at a higher level. As Tommy mentioned there as well, getting Karifa Yao back in the, the back line as well is going to be big for them. So I think defensively, they always are set up well. They always play a, a good defensive game. They just have to get some more goals, and they have to get some, some goals from other areas off the field. And bringing in somebody like Meyer Bevan, I, I think, will be a fantastic acquisition for them. And when you look around the, the league at the moment, you look at how the squads are getting built. Cavalry, to me, definitely are right up there for having one of the, the strongest squads. Obviously, hard to see past the, the strength that, that Forge have built. But, but Tommy's Cavalry team this year, I would expect them to be a top two finish again in the regular season standings. And as he mentioned there, if they can get off to a good start on the road, they kind of load it up a bit later on with home games, and that is where they really thrive at Spruce Meadows. They do not lose a lot of games there. They do not give up a lot of goals there. And I expect the same this year. So let us know what you think of Cavalry's chances this year. If you're a Cavalry fan listening to this, get in touch with us on Twitter at AFT in Canada, or shoot us an email, aftncanada at hotmail.com. Let us know what you think of Tommy's off-season rebuild and what you're expecting from the team this season. Now, one thing we didn't talk to Tommy about there, coming from the UK, you can tell he's a biscuit guy. So let's find out. Does Tommy Bielden Jr. fancy a chocolate digestive? you're sitting at home, Tommy, and you're going to have a hot beverage, what's your hot beverage of choice? A tea, a cup coffee? Tea. Cup of tea. I, listen, I'm a coffee man in the mornings. I don't mind a little coffee in the, you know, a little perk me up in the afternoon, but you know, whether it's me and the missus, yeah, here's one for you. She bought me in for my birthday last year, a teapot. So like a proper China teapot so you could make it, you'd steep it. Oh, it's brilliant. You know, and, and, and she's great. She bought me all these nice designer clothes and things like that. She's very <laughs> generous. But my best gift of all was the uh, the teapot. Superb. And do you have a sweet tooth? Would you have oh, a biscuit? 100%. That's why I wear waistcoats, because it's like a man's uh, corset that can kind of keep your uh, dad bod in check. <laughs> but no, I love it. I love it. And I'm torn because... You know, whether it's, you know, wine gums and things like that when you go into a movie or even half time, the boys have the gummies for that simple sugar fix. So there's always ample that. But I do love chocolate and I think it's, yeah, I, I do like a chocolate digestive and I try not to have them in the house. And then the reason being is that you'll end up dunking three and it's, yep. uh, it's the rule of three. You can't just have one. Um, but I do love if I'm going to have proper chocolate, it's like a dairy milk or, you know, at Christmas, it's a Toblerone. So it's like just. I love chocolate. I, I come by that honestly. My dad was like that. 
Superb. Well, you mentioned West Coast there. I meant to ask you during the main interview. When it was the last home game, I think, of the regular season, and you had all the fans that were dressed up as you with their little hats on and stuff. How did that feel? And are you going to go into a, a clothing range of waistcoats and hats? Uh, yeah, it was brilliant. It was first I saw, because it's interesting, you come out and you got the 201s, which are right by there where, where the original foot soldiers from the back in the foot those days are there. So Stuart Wallington kind of had the hat and it was a fancy dress and the red tie. And I thought, oh, brilliant, he's done it. And as I walked behind the goal, I noticed somebody else had it. And then somebody, and then I'm like, oh, there's a load of them there. And it, it was so funny. Like, and, and part of this is, is got to be, you've got to enjoy things like this, where the humor that our fans have, the interaction that I try to be as approachable. Um, but no, it's, it's brilliant that they've done that. It just means now I can't trade and do like Klopp, where he was a, a suited manager for the Champions League, then became a tracksuit manager. I guess I've got to solidify that's my look and just keep going with it. So no, listen, I thank them for it. That was uh, that was that was brilliant. Awesome. Someone gave me a hat like that for Christmas. So if I come through in in May, I'll wear it. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? I would have put money on it, yes. Tommy Pilden Jr., chocolate digestive fan, had to be really. And some great chat there about waistcoats and little bunnets as well. Definitely think he should bring out a, a range of waistcoats and hats, flat caps, would do a roaring trade. We've got a lot more Canadian Premier League chat coming up in the next few episodes of this show as well, so tune in for that. As I mentioned, hopefully... The Whitecaps can get a trip in the quarterfinals of the Canadian Championship. Would love to get back to Spruce Meadows. Really enjoyed my trip there in 2019. Got a chance to take in Drumheller as well, which was something that was on my bucket list. So, fantastic times there. And as I mentioned at the start of this part, Tommy Fielden Jr. is a big Everton fan. So although that is pretty much it for our football chat for this episode... Obviously, we can't finish the show without bringing you this week's wavelength. So in honour of Tommy Fielding Jr., we've gone for an Everton-based song. It's a rap song. I like my football rap songs, as if you're a regular listener, you will know. And a great name for the band as well. The Toffee Rappers, because Everton, obviously, their nickname is The Toffee Men. This is from a 1985 double-A-sided seven-inch single. On side A was a rap song called Blue and White Rhapsody. But this is the other side of this, and it's the the better of the two songs, I feel. This is Rap of Honour. Amy, can I look after your car? Is it three o'clock yet?
The Toffee Rappers there from 1985 with their song all about Everton, Rap of Honour. And if you are a younger fan, you might listen to some of the lyrics in that song and think, why are they talking about Everton being champions? Well, that was because back in 1985, Everton, by far and away the best team in English football, they won the first division, as it was called then, in the 1984-85 season, runners-up in the FA Cup, they won the FA Charity Shield, and they're also European Cup winners, Cup winners as well. You look back at their squad from that time as well, and it's just absolutely chocked full of great talent. You had Andy Gray, Graham Sharp up front, two Scotsmen. You had Neville Southall and Goals, great Welshman. Their captain, Kevin Ratcliffe, and another Welshman, as was Pat Van Den Howe. 
wasn't all Scots and Welshmen, though. No. There was Kevin Sheedy, who was Irish. But there's also a, a string of top English players in the team as well. Peter Reid, Adrian Heath, Minnesota United head coach, Trevor Stephen, Paul Bracewell, Gary Stevens. The list goes on. It was a fantastic team. I really remember watching the, their games at the time and they played a lovely brand of football. Hopefully they can stay up because it is a team that I do have a little bit of a soft spot for. I've enjoyed watching them play. When David Moyes was their manager, I always liked watching the Everton games. As a West Ham fan, delighted that he's at West Ham now and doing so well with them. And of course, we recorded our chat with Tommy whilst Everton were playing Newcastle. And very happy Tommy by the end of that one, as you can imagine. Everton coming away with a a big 1-0 win and three huge points in their battle for relegation. But that is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. A bit of a strange one, just doing it all in my own some this week. But Zach probably won't be back in next week's show unless we can get him post-game in Toronto after what is going to be an amazing and an emotional afternoon at BMO Field. Steve should be back next weekend though. Until then, make sure you check out all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. We'll have a a lot of stuff going up on the site this week, especially around Whitecaps 2, continuing our Get to Know Your WFC 2 squad series as the MLS Next Pro season gets underway. Also, give us a, a like, a follow, a subscribe and turn on notifications on our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash Canada. Going to have some video going up from there from the VMSL Imperial Cup semi-final between BB5 United and West Van. Cracking game that was. If you're on Instagram, we haven't been using it a lot, but we do hope to get back into that now that we've got the new season underway and our photographers at those games. You can give us a follow on there at AFTN Soccer. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving a review or a rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or any of the the podcast sites just to let people know how much you do enjoy the show. It'd be very much appreciated. Help all the algorithms and all of that stuff. But until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for bearing with me on my own this week. We will be back soon. So take care and mourn the caps and allez le rouge. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.
et...